0: Hi everyone, I'm Miles, and this is UniLife with Canvas Nottingham. You may have noticed that the days are getting shorter. We are quickly approaching the shortest day of the year. But this also means that we are approaching Christmas! In this episode, we will talk about Christmas, but perhaps in a different way than any of you have ever experienced. Some of you listening may not know that Canvas Nottingham is part of a much larger organization. We are one of 14 branches across the world that includes locations in Mexico, Chile, and Thailand. In the UK, there are currently three locations. One here is in Nottingham. Another location is in Birmingham. And the final location uh, is called Roots and it's up in Edinburgh, Scotland. Edinburgh is where today's guest is joining us from. Today, we're joined by our wonderful woman, Kate Owens. Hello, Kate. Hi, Miles. I have known Kate for a long time now, 12 years, in fact. Uh, We both attended Georgia Tech together, a university in Atlanta, Georgia. And Kate graduated the year prior to me um, and studied industrial design. She is one of the most creative people I've ever met, and Kate now lives in Edinburgh, Scotland, with her husband, Andrew, and her sons, Ozzy and Max. That's true. All of that is true. <laughs> I also, uh, when I first met Kate, we would uh, made a high five together. That was uh, a really bad high five in which we both like went back and forth and then jumped into each other. And it was like a literal train wreck every time we met each other.
1: Train wreck, but hilarious. Worth it.
0: Yeah, I maybe hilarious for everybody else, but I don't know for us two if it was the most hilarious thing. <laughs> so, um, Kate, just a few introductory questions before we get into the meat of the episode. How did you end up in Scotland?
1: How did I end up in Scotland? Um, so Like you said, we met when we were at uni, and we were a part of uh, an organization, a place that was, it's kind of like Canvas and kind of like Roots, and I loved it, and it meant so much to me that I wanted to go and try and provide that same kind of community, that same kind of place for students in a different country. So after a lot of research and trips and, and trying to figure out where would make the most sense I moved here in 2013 with a team and started Roots.
0: Wow. So what is your favorite thing about living in uh, Scotland right now?
1: Right now? I don't know. I stay in my house a lot, but usually (laughs) um, I, I contend that Edinburgh is the best city in the world. It is a beautiful place to live and it's a fantastic place to visit. Two things together that make it my favorite city. Um, We have tons of museums and theaters and also some really beautiful natural spaces right in the middle of town.
0: It is a really cool city and it is one of my favorite cities in the UK. I don't know if it's number one but it's definitely pretty high on the list. I could try Uh, and convince you. So what are some of your favorite things about working at Roots?
1: Um, Like I said, I've been at Roots for gosh, almost eight years now. Um, And I just, I mean, it's maybe it's a cheesy answer, but I love the people that I get to meet, the people that I get to work with. Edinburgh, another part of what makes it cool is that it's a super international city. So we get to spend time with students who are from all over the world and get to know more about them, their countries, their cultures, and have it all kind of joined together into one um, kind of mega community, so I really love that.
0: Yeah. So, Kate, I mentioned earlier that you are one of the most creative people I've met in my life. In uh, a couple of summers ago, uh, you were one of the organizers behind our summer conference, where all the different Canvas and Roots locations around the world come together for a weekly like. Meeting somewhere fun that year, it was in Mexico. Uh, and uh, you think about things in a different light than I do, and so, in that uh, at that conference, you pre- helped present Bible stories told in a different light. Uh, sometimes it was sometimes a Bible story is told through one character's point of view, and you tried to tell the Bible story through a different person's point of view who might have been in the crowd watching or somebody else observing the the story. Where did this idea come from?
1: Um, yeah, I well, I appreciate you saying that I'm creative, and I would love to take credit for this idea. Um, it, it, I did help make it happen at that conference, that's true, but it wasn't my idea in the first place. I actually, um, I read a book that's called Inspired by a woman named Rachel Held Evans, who's one of my favorite authors, and the book Inspired is about looking at the Bible differently and kind of learning the different types of stories that are written in there because it's not just one type of thing in the Bible. It it encompasses, um, you know, poems and stories of people and ideas and letters. And so she talks about different ways that we can engage with the Bible. And one of the things that she did was she started each section with a retelling of a Bible story in a different way. So one of them, she wrote it like a play, like the script of a play. But one of the ones that impacted me the most was she told a story of a woman. Her name was Hagar. Hagar is a person who in the Bible, you kind of hear about a little bit, but you don't know much about her and certainly nothing is from her perspective. It it's not really concerned with her feelings. <laughs> um, and so um what Rachel Hell Evans did in this book was she wrote a thing that I mean she she invented it. There's there is no you know written down of, of what Hagar was feeling or thinking or anything like that, obviously. But Rachel Hell Evans kind of wrote this story from her perspective, um. It's almost like the other side of the story that you can read in the Bible. And so I remember reading this and I legitimately cried at the end because it was so powerful to me reading this story from the perspective of this woman and not just about her, but hearing it saying, I do this, I feel this, I am this person. And again, Rachel Held Evans made it up. But it was super powerful to me. And so it was something that I wanted to try and um, see how we could incorporate that in what we do.
0: What do you find helpful about this, like retelling of the Bible through a different person's perspective?
1: Um, I think that, you know, if we're being realistic with any history or stories that we read, they're from a very particular perspective. Um, you know, they're written down by people who are in power. And so you're getting a very particular perspective. And that's okay if you recognize that for what it is. So when we do this, when we allow ourselves to wonder a little bit and think about what could be context around this story from another person's perspective or from a just a larger view, I think that it gives us an even better way to to, en- to enjoy it, to appreciate it, to learn from the story. Um, and I think it also can make it, I don't know, it can feel real in a different way. Because I think a lot of times when we look at stories, it feels very much like we're just kind of viewing them from a very, um, from like a distant place, kind of reading it um, as a story, which is what it is. but when we, when we give ourselves the chance to kind of alter that perspective and put ourselves into it, um, I think that that really changes the way that we can experience the story, appreciate it, and feel almost like in the middle of it rather than on the outside looking in.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can fully agree with that. That was my first experience of having this done was at our conference. And Some of the stories that I've heard maybe hundreds of times growing up in a Christian household and reading the Bible and even like studying it at a seminary, like they they were fresh and new and it challenged a different part of my brain. And some of the things you've always heard, you just experience in a different way. And so I just found it really helpful. And I think it could be really helpful for people who are maybe who are new to this idea of exploring what is the Bible and what it is or people who have tons of experience in the area.
1: Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that because I think that it's very easy to kind of just consume it, you know, just kind of like take it in. But if we, any of us, if we're familiar with it or not um, can look at it and try and ask some questions and be like, what would I have felt if I was standing in that crowd What might this person who gets mentioned in the story, like what did they do next? Like what happened after this? If I think that this story, you know, I I imagine it as part of a day, right? Like it happened in a day. So there was also the morning that day and also the evening that day. So these people, what might they have done before? What might they have done afterwards? And I think that there's something, yeah, like you said, no matter if you've heard the story for the first time or uh, for the millionth time, I think there's something really valuable in expanding.
0: Oh yeah. So we are rapidly approaching Christmas and we thought it would be a cool opportunity to retell the Christmas story. So uh, for everybody listening, this might be the hundredth time you've heard the Christmas story or the birth of Jesus, or it might be the first time. And just a little refresher to everybody listening. Uh, Christmas is the day that Christians celebrate the coming of Jesus, um, who Christians believe is God's son. And so uh, the entire day is about uh, remembering how Jesus was born to this Virgin Mary and the various other characters involved in the story. Uh, And Kate is actually going to be telling us the Christmas story reimagined.
1: Okay, so yeah, I'm going to be sort of telling you a bible story. <laughs> um I'm saying sort of because I am giving myself the freedom here to wander beyond the words of the page. Um so I'm going to tell you the story from the perspective of someone who is written in the story and um I just want to acknowledge that to some extent I'm making this up. And so um but I think that's okay like we've been talking about. So um you can't see me but you know imagine me putting on a beard or something hi it's nice to meet you my name is simon and i run an inn i'm from bethlehem have you been there no of course you probably haven't we're a small village we do have a couple claims to fame though if you've you may have heard of them um king david the one who defeated goliath ruled israel yep he's one of ours he grew up here We are also the clean water source for the temple in Jerusalem. I bet you didn't know that. And I mean, well, there's that thing that happened here recently like that. That's big. Long story short, everything's changing. And it all started right here in Bethlehem at my house of all places. Oh, you didn't want the short version. All right, buckle up. It is a strange and wonderful story. So we have to go back a bit. This decree came out, you see. A census was going to be taken across the empire and everyone had to go back to their ancestral homes. And that was a big deal for us. Like I said before, we're not a big community. We do okay for ourselves, but we don't have a huge amount to offer lots of travelers making their way here. We knew we would do our best, of course. Gracious hospitality is a cornerstone of who we are as Jewish people. We share what we have and we welcome all we can, but you know, if there's no space, there's no space. So anyway, the people started arriving. And I won't lie, at first it was pretty exciting to see the village so full of life and family, new relationships growing and old ones rekindling. I mean, I carried on my life as normal, head down, work hard, do what you can. But soon, what we expected was going to happen, happened. (laughs) I knew it, I saw it coming. We opened our homes and offered our guest rooms and before we knew it, we were at capacity. We just didn't have much to give. Then one evening, I heard a knock on my door a little strange, cause I wasn't expecting any visitors at that time. I thought maybe it was a neighbor who needed something. But when exhausted from everything, I heaved open my front door, I saw a young couple. The woman, she stood back from the door a few steps stroking the neck of a donkey who looked as though it had traveled its fair few miles. She was young, but had a look of wisdom on her tired face. And the man, he looked up at me with what I read as a defiantly hopeful look. I say defiantly hopeful because I had a good idea what he was gonna ask. And he had a good idea what I was gonna answer. Of course, they were travelers. Of course, they wanted lodging, a place to stay in this town that was not familiar to them. And of course, I had no room. We were bursting at the seams with guests as it was. He asked, I apologized, he understood, I closed the door. What a terrible feeling it is to turn someone away. I hadn't noticed at the time, but my wife was behind me and watched everything. And it only took one understanding moment of eye contact between us and three words. She is pregnant to send me running out the front door after them. It wasn't going to be much, but we would find them something. So we led them through the house and down into the stables. It was warm, dry, safe, the best we could offer. Certainly not accommodation fit for a king. Oh, well, actually, it's kind of funny to think that now. They were a really lovely pair. they were really full of gratitude and love, despite their lodging. Quickly, we came to care very much about them and anticipated the birth of their child with joy and worry, just like we were their own family. Things were tight, and all we could offer them were some cloths from our home and a cleaned out manger for a crib. Well, that and a listening ear, as they talked about their dreams and fears and the promises God had made about the baby. They even said... They had been visited by angels. That is a new one for me. The night that perfect boy arrived, my wife and I were in bed, ready to sleep. It was silent, calm, but we could feel it, you know? We just knew that in the morning we would be meeting a precious child. And we were right. Oh, he was beautiful. All wrapped up and peaceful. And whether or not they were serious about the angels visiting before, it was undeniable that there was something special in that place, that little family. And that feels like it could be the end of the story, right? The wandering travelers, the decision to find them somewhat unorthodox housing, the birth of a beautiful baby under our roof. It would be a perfectly good and wholesome story if it stopped there. But you can probably guess by the way I just said that. It didn't. Later that day, like that same day, we had another unexpected knock at our door. Have you ever opened the door to a group of shepherds shouting something about angels and the birth of a messiah, a savior? It was very overwhelming. I had so many questions. First of all. Messages from angels again? That's, I mean, well, still a pretty new one for me. (laughs) Second, throwing the word Messiah around felt like a very big deal. The Messiah is the one that we Jews have been waiting for, the future king. And they were saying he was born? Only one baby was born here and he was sleeping in our animal's manger. I wasn't thrilled about bombarding Mary and Joseph and of course their sweet boy Jesus with a rowdy crew of shepherds. Oh, did I tell you they call them Jesus? But I showed them in though because Joseph had warned me that they might get some visitors. What a sight that was. These strangers entering our stable with a reverence normally reserved for holy places. Well, I suppose this was a holy place. They knelt beside the manger, gazed at Jesus, and told the new parents all the things that the angels had told them in the fields. And I was listening so carefully that I remember what they said word for word. They had been told, Today in the town of David, that's us, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Now, they didn't stay long they were far too excited to go out and tell anyone who would listen about what happened today. And I mean, I guess I'm doing the same thing. I'm telling you about it, aren't I? And I believe them, all of them. Mary and Joseph, that they were told that they would be blessed with a baby who would be a king. The shepherds who were told that that tiny baby was somehow the person we had been waiting for to save our people. And that little baby, I believe him as well. He hasn't said anything to me, of course, but I believe in him. I don't know what that child's life will look like in the end, but it is undeniable that something very special has happened already at the beginning of his story.
0: Thank you, Kate. Um, I... Thoroughly appreciated that. Like, I mean, I read this a little bit earlier in the week and just even hearing you say that, like, it just brings like a certain level of emotion up that like you sometimes don't always get when you just read the Bible. Like sometimes you forget these are people and they have fears and expectations and hopes and all those different kinds of human emotions that we experience on a day-to-day basis that gets lost sometimes when you just read the Bible just as is. Totally.
1: Totally. Yeah, and I mean, I think that often when we read something like that, we have a narrative that we're kind of paying attention to, you know, Um, like a facet of the people in the story that we are thinking about. And so there's something really cool about making them a little bit more (laughs) three-dimensional.
0: Oh, yeah. And like a 100%, like the characters in that story were three-dimensional and had a little bit of everything. And so why did you pick the innkeeper in this particular retelling of the story?
1: Um, I think that the innkeeper plays quite a pivotal role in the story, but we don't ever think beyond, oh, thanks for finding a room. That was nice, you know? And I think that when I think about what this story means to Christians, so I'm a Christian, and when i think about what this story means to christians i think it matters to us now and so if i think that this story matters then it's really interesting to me to think about how this story mattered to the people who would have heard it first who experienced mm-hmm. it first so if i if i say that it matters now then it makes me wonder what did it matter then um and so i think that's why i picked the innkeeper because the innkeeper is one of the people who like the first person who heard the story you know (laughs) so like what did it matter like what did it change what would it change for that person um who only knew the beginning of the story but um was still part of it
0: yeah And sometimes we only have part of the puzzle or part of the information and we don't see the full picture. And that was so relatable hearing the story Mm -hmm. told that way. So like you talked about reading this book and how you were in tears uh, when Rachel, uh, you retold the Bible story in a different way. How has the process of writing these kinds of stories or then orating them changed your perspective of the Bible?
1: Um. I think that it really has challenged me to um, expand my perspective. You know, there's so much that can be said just in life to what is it, what can it change for you to put yourself in someone's perspective? Obviously, we can never do that 100%, um, but what could it mean for me to see a situation in my life right now from someone else's perspective and try and understand more of what is happening in the world and how that affects people outside of just my very particular perspective. Um, Like that's something that I value just in my life. And so again, if I value the Bible as something that I believe teaches me about who God is, and I value that um, kind of expanding my perspective in my regular life, then I have to put them together, you know, like I'm not going to, my, my faith and my way that I live aren't separate things. So I have to try and continue to find new ways to kind of meld those two together. And so I think that's what this has done for me is given me a way to take something that I value just in like general relationships (laughs) and make it something that's very, um, connected to the way that I view the Bible and how that plays into my own personal faith.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And it's the importance of that diversity of broad array of voices. And like, this is just in a different way, almost like allowing artistic or like uh, somebody with a more creative kind of voice speak into a different way of we perceive the world. So I am super thankful for this. Um, has your perspective of the Christmas story in particular changed over time?
1: Over time? You mean because of like reading stories like this or just in general?
0: Both. Either or. Take it wherever you want to go.
1: Um, I think that, I mean, the Christmas story is one that I have heard my whole life, you know, over and over. And it's one that. Even as a kid, I could have recited, you know, like I could have told you the story. And I think that in some ways for me, it was quite flat in that it was like, I know what happens and it's nice. But I think as I've grown up and, you know, discovered a lot more about like what I do believe and why I believe it, I think that, um, I'm just learning a lot more about how to um, take this story, again, that I've heard a million times and um, appreciate it in different ways. So one way is like this, is thinking about the different people in the story and thinking like, what did this story matter to them? Um, But then also thinking like, what does it matter that this story comes up in every year and how can I engage with it in a way that continues to matter rather than just getting bored with it. So I think that that's not a great answer for how it's changed, but I think that is what I think about the story is um, how can I engage with it in a way that makes sure it does keep changing.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it's the take, way that I, I thought thought was that. so familiar from your entire life. Like when I'm 5 years old and I heard this story. This is like one of the Bible stories that comes to mind. And now like as a 30-year-old adult, like I'm thinking about this story in a new different way. And I think this is a great way of doing that. Yeah. Um so in honor of Christmas um, do you, Andrew, Max, and Ozzy, have any family traditions?
1: I, I'm really big on traditions, so we have lots of traditions. I, I love a tradition. Yes. <laughs>
0: um,
1: one of, one of the ones that means a lot to me, um, is one that kind of. Uh, it, it comes from my growing up and is something that I've brought into my my little family now. Um, my mom is incredibly creative and um, she, every single year, would make something for my sisters and me. Um, and it would just be like, com- like different things every year. But that was always one of my most precious presents um, was the thing that she made for me. And so that's something that we do as well. I always make something for the kids and Andrew and I make something for each other. And that is something that means a lot to me because it, you know, like you have to put in so much thought, so much effort, and it makes me feel very loved um, to receive that. But also it feels very full of love when I give that. So that's something that we do.
0: That's an amazing tradition. Like, I mean, it's not one-to-one, but when uh, growing up, I would always like to give, like, stuff I made in woodshop classes as, like, a Christmas gift, and so it was, like, my favorite thing to give around Christmas time. Yeah, I love that. So I can definitely relate to that. And do you have a specific Christmas memory that stands out? Maybe from your childhood or anything?
1: Um. It doesn't have to be a serious one, right? No. I have a memory of, I was probably, I don't know, like 12 or 13. And the thing was, what you have to understand is when I was 12 or 13, 12 and 13 year olds did not have phones. Like mobile phones were like not incredibly, They're oh. they were not what they are now. Let's just say that. Um, and so I wanted a phone and so my parents they got me this thing that was like oh it's a phone but it was like chocolate that was molded into the shape of a phone and they were like look we got you a phone and I was like that is a trick but also it's chocolate so I I accept (laughs) I don't know why that one's stuck in my head, but that is a memory that I have of
0: Christmas. (laughs) That is great. And I mean, yeah, and I really hope uh, you get some excellent handmade gifts this year for Christmas, because I know 2020 has been a little bit of a rough year. So uh, I can hope (laughs) that uh, Christmas is redeemable.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. I'm already enjoying the lead up to Christmas.
0: Oh, it's been great so far. I'm rocking out the Christmas carols. Every day. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. Plus, we've had
1: our tree up for like three weeks at this point.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, Before we uh, say goodbye to Kate, we have some rapid-fire questions that we ask all of our guests. So we have five rapid-fire questions for Kate. The first one is, community is blank.
1: Community is important.
0: Community is <laughs> important. That's a
1: lame word, but it's true.
0: It is 100% true. Um, What is your favorite takeaway?
1: Thai food.
0: Ooh, that sounds good.
1: We have a couple of really good Thai places near us.
0: <laughs> what are you currently binging? It could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a TV show, whatever.
1: Currently binging. I got two small kids. We don't binge things. Who's got time to do that? I am re-watching Bones. I'll say that. I'm re-watching the show Bones.
0: Okay, so you, you have something in the realm at least. <sighs> um, what are you grateful for in the midst of COVID?
1: I am grateful for the I feel very grateful for the space that we have um in our flat we recently moved to a new flat and um the space that we have and the fact that we can keep it warm and the fact that we you know have a safe place to be um I think I just am increasingly grateful for that um because we're spending so much time here, you know, it kind of reminds me of that fact that is always true. Yeah.
0: And we always like to end on a would you rather question for a little bit of fun. So um, for creative Kate, I have a um, interesting, would you rather, would you rather be an amazing artist, but not be able to see any of the art you created or be an amazing musician, but not be able to hear any of the music you create?
1: Um, oh, neither. This is a terrible question. Um, I think that probably I would rather be an amazing artist and not be able to see any of the art because I myself am find much more fulfillment in creating art than creating music. So I would have to probably go with that, okay. Although I, I just say music because I don't care about listening to it. So then I would still get to see the art that I would make.
0: I would that be curious a- which one of the two you were going to pick. <laughs> so thank you, Kate, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you, all you, the listeners, for joining us for this week's Uni Life with Canvas Nottingham. And special thanks for all of you for joining us during our inaugural season. The discussion for the final episode this episode will be on the 17th of December at 12:30. We'll be We will be back in January, so make sure you check back back in with us then. If you have any questions or future podcast suggestions, shoot us an email at unilife at canvashouse.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Canvas Nottingham until the new year. Peace out.